I feel like just telling students that it's okay to not know what you want to be when you grow up, when you're 18 years of age, is okay because I didn't figure it out until I was 40. Welcome to Wiser Conversations podcast. I'm Dina Ladd, the Executive Director for the Missouri Cures Education Foundation. For the past 10 years, I've been focused on protecting and promoting medical research in the state of Missouri. And during this time, I've met amazing researchers and scientists and entrepreneurs. Seven years ago, I started the Women in Science, Entrepreneurship, and Research events. The purpose of these events is to connect women all around the state to each other to share their stories, their challenges, and opportunities. So I hope you enjoy the Wiser Conversations podcast, which really highlights the work of women in science, entrepreneurship, and research. With me today, I have Randy Foraker. She's at Washington University in St. Louis, the director for the Center for Population Health Informatics, associate professor of medicine in the Division of General Medical Sciences at the School of Medicine, and an associate professor of public health at Brown School. Randy, welcome. Thank you so much for having me here today. So as I was looking at your bio and looking at your titles, um, you have such a strong interest in research. So when did you know that that was going to be your career? That's the path you were gonna take. Yes, well, I certainly didn't grow up thinking that I was going to be a researcher. I was born to two physical education teachers, elementary school PE teachers, no less. And so really what it took was when my husband moved us to Rochester, Minnesota. So this was after I'd gotten an undergrad degree and a master's degree in health promotion. Um, He took a clinical fellowship year at Mayo Clinic and I started working in the Nicotine Dependence Center. And what really motivated me to learn more about research was working in the Nicotine Dependence Center and meeting PhDs um, that were doing nicotine dependence research. And I wanted to know more about how I could do the type of work that they were doing. So one day I sat down with my boss and I asked her how she got to where she was. And she said, well, I have my PhD in epidemiology. And I said, what's that? So she told me and I said, well, that sounds like something that I might like to do. And I got started taking epidemiology and biostatistics classes at Mayo Clinic in their clinical research program. And I decided to pursue a PhD in epidemiology after that. And so ever since then, my life has been research. But before then, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. I love it. So can you give us um, just a description of epidemiology, especially for the listeners? Absolutely. So when I say that I'm an epidemiologist, at least pre-pandemic, people wanted to show me their rashes because they thought it had to do something with skin and the epidermis. And I said, no, 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 I don't do rashes. Um, I study diseases in populations. And specifically, what I focused on in school was chronic disease, like cardiovascular disease and cancer. Um, But what I'm finding during the pandemic is that a lot of the skills that I learned as a researcher 
are easily translated to infectious diseases as well. And so um, I find myself kind of working across those boundaries, even though my foundation is really in chronic disease. So you brought up the pandemic, and I know that you are playing a a very important role um, on the St. Louis COVID Task Force, chairing the Epidemiology Strike Force. So can you give us a little insight into that and, and the situation here in Missouri and what you've been doing in that role? Absolutely. So my role and really the role of my colleagues at the Institute for Informatics and the Institute for Public Health has really been addressing how we can bring together data to glean better insights on the pandemic. And really timely insights are of the essence because things change from week to week and day to day with the pandemic. Even just here in the St. Louis region, we've seen the demographics shift. For example, when the pandemic started, it was um, a very heavy burden in older adults. And now that schools are beginning to reopen, we see that a lot of younger residents are becoming infected. And so the demographics of a pandemic can shift very rapidly. And really what that translates to is how dangerous the pandemic is for a community. Because we've seen, quite frankly, very few young people have adverse effects from this infection, but older people and people with comorbidities like obesity and hypertension and diabetes get struck quite hard. And so it's really important to keep your finger on the pulse of those data. And, you know, the issue is these data are being stored in what are essentially silos silos of labs where the tests are being conducted, silos of health systems where patients are being cared for, et cetera. And so it's important to bring all of those data together. And so really what the epidemiology strike force is designed to do is bring those stakeholders together and decide what data need to be used and how to better inform the region and quite frankly, the region's response to the pandemic. Well, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Payne, uh, Philip Payne, um, who of course is the director for the Informatics Institute. I'm also honored to be on your external advisory board. Um, but I interviewed him when um, things really shut down initially in the beginning. And so I know that the Informatics Institute, you all are playing such an important role in that. Um, But you're also, the information you're gathering is so important for the state and also the country. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing on the national level with that data. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, we're taking the data assets on a regional level and making sure that we can glean insights. On the national level, we've entered into a consortium called N3C, the National COVID Cohort Collaborative. And this brings together multiple academic institutions and involves data sharing across those institutions. So we're taking some lessons learned here regionally and identifying some important questions that also need to be addressed at the national level. And we're identifying some very unique questions that can be asked of that larger national asset um, because we have such great variability from a geographic standpoint. 
So for example, I have collaborators at the University of Washington um, on the West Coast where the timeline of the pandemic was such that they were hit first, right? And then the pandemic moved towards the Midwest from the coast. And so we're able with this national cohort collaborative to really identify time trends, but also some of those demographic trends. And in particular, the racial disparities that we see here in the St. Louis region, we're also exploring where they exist nationally and if those relationships are stronger in certain areas than um, in others. So you have such an important role at the Institute for Informatics, but you're also with the School of Medicine and also the Brown School of Social Work. So how do all of your roles intersect and work together? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm really seeing this play out in fast forward right now um, because all of these different groups, um, for example, informaticians, data scientists, public health practitioners, um, medical doctors, they all need to come together and share their experiences and really approach this problem from a multidisciplinary perspective. And I feel like we're really the most successful when we're able to bring all of the relevant entities together, much like bringing all of the data assets together, we also need to bring all of the expertise to the table. And I think having a foot, if you will, in all of these different areas has really made it possible for um, myself and my colleagues to really be the hub for this type of collaboration and multidisciplinary work. And I think that the most exciting and innovative work happens when we can bring people from different disciplines mm -hmm. and different types of expertise together to tackle these big problems. So you've done some groundbreaking work in the cardiovascular disease area. I know that's something that's uh, that you're very passionate about. So can you tell us a little bit about your work in that field? Sure. So one of the projects that I'm most excited about is delivering an intervention via the electronic health record so that providers are much more armed to combat cardiovascular disease at the point of care. Um, we want to deliver the right data to the right people at the right time. And so what we've developed is an app that automatically populates with electronic health record data and presents right there in the electronic health record so that the healthcare provider doesn't have to navigate out to another portal or website and they can turn the screen towards the patient or share it with them in a telehealth way, a, a screen sharing way to show them their current heart health but also use the slider bars and the buttons that we've embedded in this tool to show them what if. So what would your heart health be if you quit smoking or if you lost 10 pounds? And the app updates in real time to give feedback and to provide the patient with an insight into their heart health and the types of behaviors that they can change in order to make their heart healthier. 
And we're currently conducting this study where we implement the tool across the US in cancer survivorship clinics. And I'm particularly excited about raising awareness of cardiovascular health in cancer survivor populations, because it's not necessarily first and foremost in their mind. When they go to see their oncologist in a cancer survivorship clinic, they want to know the status of their cancer and the status of their survivorship. But the fact is, is when they came into the cancer diagnosis in the first place, they were likely in poorer cardiovascular health than their peer without cancer. And then on top of that, they get some cardiotoxic therapies or some therapies that are um, dangerous to the heart muscle itself. And that just increases cardiovascular risk in this population. So I think that raising awareness among cancer survivors and their healthcare providers is really critical. Oh yeah, that's really important work. You're also involved uh, with a project called Beyond Boundaries. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, absolutely. So Beyond Boundaries harkens back to the interdisciplinary work that I've already said is so important to me. And Beyond Boundaries is a program for undergraduates, incoming undergraduate students at Washington University in St. Louis, where they actually are not allowed to declare a major before they come in um, and are admitted because they want to be able to provide them with an interdisciplinary experience and provide them with basic coursework in a number of different areas so that really they're experientially guided towards what they want to do when they grow up. Right, So it's not some preconceived notion that they're coming to the university to major in a specific area. And so I'm involved with Beyond Boundaries as a mentor faculty member who can um, provide these students with some practicum experiences in my lab so I can bring them in and involve them in these COVID analytics that we're doing or the clinical decision support project that I just described, and they can learn what it's like to become an epidemiologist or an informatician or a computer scientist. And so it really allows them to explore all of the possibilities. And so I'm just really glad to be a part of that program and surrounded by other faculty of similar mindset that students should be allowed to explore and, and find their passions and find their interests um, as they're just entering college uh, because there's a lot of life left ahead of them <laughs> for them to, to learn and really concentrate on one specific area. What a great program. So you are this um, amazing researcher. You're a mentor, it sounds like, in this program. And, you know, there's a saying, work hard and play hard. And I know that you play hard also because you race cars. So please, how did you get into racing cars? Well, the how is rather boring. The how is um, my husband and I decided to buy a car that is street legal, but is also deemed the fastest production car. And so we bought the car and we were looking at it one day and we said, well, we can wrap it in bubble wrap and wait for it to appreciate over time. And we can sell it in 25 years and probably make some money or we can drive it and we can have a lot of fun at the track. 
So the car um, we bought in 2018 and I did my first track event in early 2019. So that's when I really learned how racing worked. Um, I didn't grow up in a racing family, at least a car racing family. We did 5Ks and 10Ks and whatnot, but not in cars. And so it was really a great experience for me to learn something new. Um, and it's a challenging environment as well for a female, just in terms of feeling intimidated at first, because um, almost all of the drivers are male. And almost, almost all of the drivers grew up in families that raced cars. And so it was a unique challenge, I think, for me to overcome some of my trepidation about, you know, not being good at this yet, but wanting to learn. And in that first racing event that I took part in, I got seventh out of mm, 50 some cars and I was one of three women at the event. And so um, I really took that as a major accomplishment in my life and I've enjoyed racing ever since and I learn so much every time I do it. I love it. What a great story. Well, I know how busy you are and um, your work with COVID-19 and cardiovascular disease and in the cancer field. So Randy, thank you for all you do and thank you for taking the time to be with me today. Thank you so much. Great to see you. For joining us for Wiser Conversations. This program is presented by Missouri Cures. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Missouri Cures. Dan English is the producer of Wiser Conversations. Please like and rate our podcast. Until next time, stay well.